Welcome to Dig Deep. We are in the middle of a series called Dysfunctional. And week one of this series, we said, you know, relationships are a lot like cars. And there are relationships in our lives that are broken down for whatever reason. And so week one, we talked about relationships where things have just gotten slightly out of step. We hear a noise coming from under the hood that we know probably isn't good, but we sort of hope it'll go away. And in the busyness of life, we put those things on the back burner and that can lead to major damage happening in our relationships. And so we talked about relationships where we're out of step with someone. And we said we need to take the long walk of empathy to try to see things from their perspective and find unity, find healing before greater damage is done. And then in week two, we talked about those situations where this isn't just a little noise coming from underneath the hood. We're driving down the road and there's a loud explosion and smoke is billowing from underneath the hood of our car. And we pull over and we know, man, this might be the end. And we said in those situations, in those relationships where a major pain has taken place, we need to show grace and find healing. And last week, I'm so grateful that our guest, Amy Smith, shared so openly about her relationship with her father that had experienced both of those types of damage. A major explosion in her childhood with the divorce of her parents, followed up by a series of painful misunderstandings and relationship tensions, led her to a place where she thought, man, the best I can hope for with this relationship with my father is to just keep plugging along to barely keep it together. And she shared that by living out the long walk of empathy and by showing grace, she was able to experience healing and a wonderful, deep, genuine relationship with her father before he died. And so today, I want us to turn the corner a little bit and shift gears a little bit and consider the relationships in our lives that are relatively healthy and ask, is there a way that we can keep them from breaking down in the first place? And if you're a car owner, then I have no doubt that one of the first lessons you learned about car maintenance was that you need to get the oil changed. Preferably every three to 5,000 miles, you need to get the oil changed in your car. And when I was first driving, I needed to pay attention to the miles to make sure I got the oil changed often enough. But now our cars are more updated and they warn us. There's a light that comes on on the dashboard that says, hey, your oil life is at 20% or 15%. And sure enough, we look up and check it against the miles and we say, yep, it's been about four or four and a half thousand miles. We got to get this thing in for an oil change. And our relationships are the same way. They need fuel. They need routine maintenance to keep them running smoothly. And so as we look at our passage from Romans 12 for this series, we looked at verse 10 last week, and I want us to look even closer at it today and ask what are the implications of this verse in our life and in our relationships, including in our relationships that are relatively healthy, that are running relatively smoothly and well. And Paul says in verse 10 of Romans chapter 12, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. The ESV version says it this way, outdo one another in showing honor. 
And so Paul is telling us here, as he's giving us instruction about how we're supposed to relate to all people, he's saying a key ingredient to healthy relationships is showing honor. Honor. Now, honor has a lot of different connotations for us culturally. So let's make sure we're on the same page before we keep going. Sort of a general definition of honor would be that it's a societal term describing how people within a given society evaluate one another. And we understand this. This makes sense to us. This is often how we think about honor. See, honor usually exists for us in the midst of some sort of societal framework. And so your workplace has a hierarchy built in. Your family has a system of honor. And this is why it would bother us if we saw kids dishonor their parents. It would bother us more than if we saw parents dishonor their children. There's sort of a a pecking order, an understanding that you might say one thing to one person that you would never say to someone else because they are in an unspoken position over you where they should be honored. And this is why if your coworker says something rude to you, you would say, oh no, she did not just speak to me like that. But if it was the president of your company who were to say the same thing, you would listen respectfully and it still might bug you, but you wouldn't lash out in the same way. And this is a good thing on a a level. I honor within a hierarchical system is a good thing. Jesus teaches us that children should honor their parents, that citizens should honor people that are put in places of authority over them. But when Jesus came to earth, he came in and completely shook up societal norms as often as possible. Jesus showed respect for people that the religious leaders openly showed disdain for. Jesus ate in the homes and slept in the homes of people who the religious leaders considered unclean. Jesus went in and established mutually loving, mutually respectful relationships with people that all of society had deemed completely unworthy of an honor like that, a relationship like that. We talked about this week, one of this series, but there are many Hebrew and Greek words that are all translated to the word honor in our English Bibles. But the Greek word that Paul uses here is T-me and is referring to assigning worth or a price or a value to someone or something. And that lines up beautifully with a simple definition of honor that I heard recently. It said simply, honor is treating someone like you understand how valuable they are. Honor is treating someone like you understand how valuable they are. And so Jesus pushes us to get past our built-in societal expectations of honor and see that all people have incredible value, that all people are valuable to him and they should be to us. And if I'm really honest with myself about the relationships in my life that have broken down over time or that are in a strained place right now, if I look back through the history, I'll see that at some point I started forgetting that person's value. I started to take them for granted. Or maybe they did something that I had no respect for or completely disagreed with and they lost points with me. 
They lost value in my eyes. And then I just acted accordingly. And the relationship breaks down. And so if we want the best relationships possible, relationships that bring us joy and fill us up instead of emptying us, we need to make it our mission to outdo each other in showing honor. And so today I want to look at the two main ways that we do that. What are the two main ways that we show honor? And they are to speak and to serve. Last week, if you heard Amy's story, and if you didn't, I encourage you to go back and listen, she received a short, precious email that her dad wrote her that neither of them knew would be the last words she would ever hear from him. And that short little email that surely only took him a few minutes, perhaps less than a minute to write, lives not only on her phone, but in her heart and her mind forever. That short email of just a few sentences of love sealed the truth that, yes, my dad loved me deeply. And so my first application for today is really simple, and I'm not going to save it to the end. I'm going to just let you know right now, I want you to write and send words of love to someone, to speak life-giving words that honor someone. It could be a, a note or a quick email, but I want you to speak out loud what may already be in your heart that you're just not speaking for whatever reason. We know words hold up relationships. Communication is the bridge between two human beings. And that communication can come in many forms. Spoken words, written words, nonverbal communication like a hug or a smile. They all communicate something and build a bridge to another person. And we also know that words can also tear that bridge right back down. We say something foolish. We do damage that we can never unsay the things that we said in a moment of anger. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The message translation puts it so beautifully. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. The things you say either kill or give life. And you know this because you probably don't remember 99% of the words that you heard in elementary school, but I bet you can remember the handful of words that stung your soul in your elementary school years, the words that made you feel embarrassed and ashamed and devalued stuck with you. This is why I'm convinced that the, the saying sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is officially the dumbest saying of all time. Words have incredible power to sting our souls and to crush our hearts in powerful, powerful ways. They do immense damage in our lives. And it doesn't even matter how logical or how true those words are. If they come from a place of hate, they sting us and they hurt. I had to watch my son experience this for the first time this past week. He's in kindergarten and he came home from school and I asked how his day was and he said it was good and we chatted a little bit more and then 
He said with a little quiver in his voice, but two boys did say something mean to me at recess. And I said, oh, what did they say? He said they called me a name. And then he started to press his cute, chubby fingers into his eye sockets as if to try to force the tears back into the tear ducts. And so I pulled a stool up next to him at the kitchen counter and put my arm around him and said, buddy, what did they call you? And it took him a moment to get the words out, but he finally said, they called me tiny. And I had to keep myself from laughing because if you've ever met my son, he is anything but tiny. Since the day he was born, he's been off the growth charts. He is built like a football player. He's one of the biggest kids in all of kindergarten at his school. Literally the last insult I thought he would ever receive is that he was tiny. This was the most illogical, ridiculous insult ever. But looking at my little son as he's pressing the tears back into his eyes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether the words are true or whether they're logical. They sting because they came from a place of anger and hurt and hate from those other boys. Words are a vehicle for our feelings to other people. They build or break down the bridge of relationship between us. They kill or they give life. They're either poison or fruit. We choose. And so today I want us to focus on and ask the question, am I speaking positive words into my relationships? Am I building and reinforcing the bridge of that relationship? And so today, if you had a snippy interaction with your spouse on the way out the door, I want you to send them a quick text or an email or give them a call and speak life-giving words to them. Apologize. Tell them that you love them. If yesterday you yelled at your kids in a moment of frustration and anger, I want you to take each one of them aside individually and tell them that you treasure them. Apologize to them for losing your temper. Tell them that they're some of the greatest gifts you've ever been given and that you love them no matter what. If you put something in an email last week that you know your friend or coworker took the wrong way and it, it stung them, it bothered them, you could tell from the way they emailed you back that they were not happy with what you had to say. Don't continue the email thread. Pick up the phone and call them. Get face-to-face -face with them if you can and tell them you're sorry about the misunderstanding. Communicate again what you were trying to communicate in the first place, but do it face-to-face. -face. Do it with love. Show them that you respect them and value them and care about them. We can never assume that the people in our life know how we feel about them. And we can never assume that we'll have tomorrow to say these things. And I'm sure you have excuses. Maybe you're too busy. Today's a busy day for you. That's not an excuse because this literally takes minutes, seconds. Maybe you're too insecure. That's just a not normal thing for you. You're not a, a words person. You're not a gusher. You're not an emotional person. You feel insecure about it. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. I don't know what to tell you. Do it anyway. Maybe this is awkward for you because you are sitting next to and listening to this podcast with the person that you know you need to speak more life-giving words to. I know some of you listen 
with your spouses and you might be listening with them right now and thinking, well now, shoot, I have to wait a month before I do this because otherwise they're going to know I'm just doing it because Jess told me to do it. That's ridiculous. Do it anyway. An oil change is an oil change. Your car needs it. Your relationship needs it. Pause this podcast, turn to the person that you love, tell them that you love them and why. Tell them specific things that you care about, that you value in them. Just do this. Just do this. You do not know how many days or hours you have left on this earth. We learned that from Amy and her story with her dad last week. Don't wait. Speak words that are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Build strength into your relationship with words that give life. This is really timely for me because just 15 minutes ago, right before I was getting ready to hit record, I received a voice text from a friend that I haven't heard from in a while. And this friend was speaking loving, honoring, life-giving words. And it was 54 seconds long. 54 seconds. And I feel valued. I feel grateful. And to be real, this friend, this relationship is one where the bridge, for a variety of really dumb reasons, feels a little bit shaky. That relationship isn't as strong as it's been in the past. And in 54 seconds, that relationship is stronger than it was because that friend took 54 seconds out of their day to speak those words to me. So do this right now. Pause the podcast and do it. Please just do it. I'm just begging you. Speak words of honor into one of your relationships and then come back and join me for the second half of our application today. See, we need to honor each other with our words, but we need to go beyond that. 1 John 3 Verse 18 reminds us, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. See, honor starts with our words, but it's followed up by our actions. I recently heard the story of a family who, when their kids were growing up, they had two sons and a daughter, and they really wanted to ingrain into their children that men should honor and respect women. And the father was especially passionate about this. And so at mealtime, the father and his sons would remain standing at the table until their mother and their sister were seated. And then the men would sit. And I love the way the father talks about this because he said, I want my sons to grow up understanding, listen, you respect and honor the women in your life, period. All the time you do it. It's what you do. He said, but even more important to me is I want my daughter to grow up in an environment where she is so accustomed to being respected and honored by men that if she's ever in a situation where she is not respected and honored by a man, that she will run far and fast in the opposite direction because it is so foreign to her. And I thought, what good, wise, godly parenting, teaching your children to honor someone by seeing their value. Remember, honor is treating someone like you understand how valuable they are. And so honor is felt when you jump up to do the dishes and insist that your spouse sit down. Honor is felt when you ask your coworker in a moment of stress if there's anything you can do to help them instead of writing them off or ignoring them or snapping back at them. Honor 
is felt when you buy lunch for someone unexpectedly or leave a generous tip or give a care package to someone who needs it. Here's the problem that we often have with honor. We are constantly evaluating and reevaluating the value that people have. And we do this without even thinking about it. And then we act based on how much value we believe that person has. And so if someone dishonors us or disrespects us, they immediately drop down in value and then we treat them accordingly. This is why fights can escalate so quickly because if someone so much as looks at me sideways, I jump from an otherwise peaceful state to all of a sudden, oh, you've got a problem with me, do you? And I go into this state of mind where I don't even realize that I'm able to do this, but my heart rate responds and then I have this list of ammunition ready, ammunition that I didn't even realize I was building up a tiny record of all the mistakes that that person has made recently and a list of all the reasons why I'm better than that person. And honor flies right out the window. And then, of course, we do damage to that relationship. We say or do something that causes real damage. And we can look at those interactions and argue, I never would have said that if he hadn't said that first, or I never would have done that if she hadn't done that horrible thing to me. And Paul reminds us to get relationships back on track, to keep them running strong and smooth. We need to remind our hearts again and again of the value others have, and then show that honor through our words and through our actions, through speaking and through serving. One of my favorite pictures of this relational dynamic played out is in the classic novel, Little Women. And if you're one of my guy listeners, I know that this is girly, but please just hang with me. See, the story of Little Women is the true story that Louisa May Alcott, the author, writes about her own family. She was one of four sisters, and Jo is the character that embodies the author herself, and her youngest sister is Amy. And in the story, they get into a petty fight about something, but the fight grows and grows until the youngest sister, Amy, in a moment of anger, burns her sister's manuscript of the book that she's been working on for a long time. She throws it into the fireplace. And their relationship at that point is so damaged, so beyond repair, that they both fall into silence and resentment. Amy apologizes, but it's just nowhere near enough. Joe swears she will never forgive her. Well, shortly after the argument, Joe goes out to go ice skating at the local frozen pond with her next door neighbor and friend, Lawrence or Lori. And little Amy, who sees the fun, tries to join them and come out on the ice. And while I love the way that this is depicted in the movie, it's even more powerful and gut-wrenching in the book because there's a moment of real authenticity and darkness that Joe reveals in her heart. See, Lori calls out to Amy as she's on the banks getting her ice skates on, and he warns her to stay close to the sides of the lake and avoid the middle because it's the last ice of the year and it's most likely too weak. And there's a moment where Joe suspects that based on how Amy's behaving as she's putting her skates on on the side, 
she realizes, I don't think Amy heard what Lori said. And she has to make a decision. And she decides, in a moment of bitterness and anger, to just let it go and not make sure Amy heard Lori's advice. And see, that's the sad truth about so many of our relationships. We let things go so far that we get to a place where if we were to ask ourselves in the moment, what if I were to lose this person forever? The answer in the deep, dark depths of our heart that maybe we'd never admit to anyone else is that maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing. Maybe it would even make life easier if this person were to go away. We get to a place where we've lost all sight of that person's value. Well, minutes later, Joe is ice skating and she hears the shattering of the ice and turns to see Amy's flailing arms and her blue bonnet disappear into the icy water. And she stands for a second in pure horrified shock before Lori shakes her out of it and they both go to Amy's rescue and pull her out of the icy pond. And once they're home and the adrenaline finally wears off, Joe dissolves into tears and she embraces her younger sister with nothing but love and forgiveness gushing out of her. Joe had been reminded in the midst of that almost tragic accident of the value of her sister's life. See, Amy hadn't done anything to earn back Joe's trust. She hadn't said anything to prompt Joe's forgiveness. But facing the reality of losing Amy brought Amy's value back into focus and led the way to healing and forgiveness. Remember, honor is treating someone like you understand how valuable they are. Practice celebrating the value of the people in your life. And you can do this in the simple things of life. And so whether it's watching your spouse breathe in their sleep in bed at night and thinking, I'm so grateful for this human and that they're spending their life with me, that they're married to me. Thanking God for that value and then acting accordingly. Or whether it's watching your parents pull into your driveway and thinking, man, my parents aren't perfect, but I am grateful that they've arrived here safely today and that I have a relationship with them. Or maybe it's watching your kids brushing their teeth and thinking, I'm so grateful for these little humans and for the ways that they bless my life. Yes, they drive me crazy, but there is nothing in my life more valuable to me than these little ones understanding the value of these relationships, reflecting on it, and then acting accordingly. That's honor. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. The evening before Jesus was betrayed and handed over to be crucified, he enjoyed one last meal with his disciples in the upper room of someone's home. And like every social situation we find ourselves in, there was a natural pecking order, a natural hierarchy that everyone understood. So there were household servants at the bottom of that pecking order that would have shown the proper honor and respect to their masters. 
and those masters would have shown the proper respect to their honored guests, this incredible traveling rabbi and his students. And Jesus, of course, was at the top of this hierarchy, this famous rabbi, traveling teacher of the law. Everyone in the room would have shown him the proper honor and respect. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He removed his outer robe and got down on the floor and put a towel around his waist and began washing his disciples' feet. This was a task that was reserved for only the lowest servants in the household. It was so repulsive, so unthinkable, so shocking to the disciples that the apostle Peter, who was known for always blurting out what most likely the other disciples were thinking anyway, says, no way, Lord. I mean, there's no way I'm going to let you do this. I can't stomach the idea of you serving me in this way. I should serve you like that. And Jesus firmly rebukes him saying, sit down, Peter. I am going to wash your feet. And then in verse 12 of John chapter 13, it says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And so Jesus is saying, You're right to honor me. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. It is good that you honor me. But he says in verse 14, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You ought to wash each other's feet. And so Jesus is breaking barriers here. He's saying, I'm showing you now that honor needs to go beyond the systems that you've put in place for it. You need to look around at each other and see that you have worth and value. You need to love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You need to outdo one another in showing honor. Listen to the verse that immediately precedes Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John 13. It's verse 3, and it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And then he goes on to wash the disciples' feet. And the scripture is pointing us to the truth that Jesus has all power and authority. He's not just a great rabbi or teacher. He is the perfect king of heaven. He came from God and was returning to God. And we had done nothing to deserve his love. But he shows us in this incredible act of humility that he sees value in us. That he loves us. That he determined that we, as awful as we are, We're worth dying for. And then he turns to his disciples and he turns to us and says, now you do the same thing for each other in my name. Honor each other. Treat each other like you understand how valuable that person is. So who do you need to show honor to today? Who's the person where you need to take a moment and reflect on their value. You need to thank God for that person. A friend you're experiencing tension with, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your sibling, your neighbor, your mother-in-law. Reflect on that person's value. That person is so valuable to Jesus, the King of Heaven, that he saw that person and gave his life for him.
He gave his life for her because he loves her. And he's calling you to strengthen your relationship with them through honor. Honor them. Honor them with your words and your actions. Treating them like you understand how valuable they are. Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to having you back next week as we conclude this series, Dysfunctional. And until then, remember to dig deep.